where we match books with delicious food and drink. I'm Justine the Librarian, and I'll be chatting with various purveyors of magical elixirs to discover just what makes them so delicious. I'll then suggest which books I think will pair perfectly for a wonderful reading experience. This episode takes me to the amazing licensed fromagerie that is Milk the Cow in St Kilda, where I was lucky enough to find an almost quiet time to chat with cheesemonger Laura, who's been with Milk the Cow from the very beginning. And for those intrepid listeners who stick around to the very end, there might just be a cheesy surprise. I hope it's a gouda one for you. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me here at Milk the Cow St Kilda. I am a huge fan and a cheese lover. Thank you for coming. I'm <laughs> just excited to try cheese. So. I am, and such interesting cheese as well. I am really looking forward to all of them, but I think there's one in particular, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so before we get stuck into the cheeses, can you tell me a little bit about Milk the Cow? Why start a licensed fromagerie in the first place? And maybe a bit of your origin story and how you got involved with it before we get into the cheese. Yeah, so... Milk the Cow was established back in 2012, so the owner, Daniel Bahayan, has a a long uh, background in hospitality, and really he just saw a niche in the market for a place where people could go late night and just pick any cheese they want and just get it matched to a wine, a whiskey, a cocktail, you name it. It, um, You know, back in the day, back in 2012, when I came over from the UK, there were only really handful of places where you could go for cheese, um, speciality, speciality for margeries like Spring Street, Richmond Hill, um, and sadly some of these aren't even here anymore, um, but there was no real place where you could go and sit down and enjoy cheese um, and certainly enjoy the expertise of getting it matched to booze. So really that's how Milk the Cow was created, just out of a, an idea, and here we are in 2012 we opened St. Kilda, first of all, so we have a five meter long cabinet. We always wanted this to be the display and the wow factor. It's like a, a theater for us, it's a stage. It is our main hero product. Five meters long, filled with an abundance of cheeses from all over the world. So Milk the Cow really just specializes in artisanal cheeses. Um, so you've got your really obvious, you've got a massive section of French and Alpine and Swiss and Norwegian, which we'll try later, which are a little bit more niche. And then you've got Netherlands, America, Spain, Italy, Australia, so you name it, we have it. Um, And like I said, we just specialize in staying true to that art farm, just staying true to cheese and matching it to alcohol. So we like to say we really were the first people in Australia who created, I guess, um, that speciality of just matching cheese with alcohol. But what about yourself? So you're from the UK? Yeah, so I've been studying or working with cheese for over 17 years now. So a lot of people look at me and go, what, 17 years? I'm, I always just say it's the cheese, it keeps you young. <laughs> um, but I actually have a background in fashion and photography. And then I got the opportunity to work in a really specialised um, for Marjorie in the UK when I was studying, obviously to pay, pay the rent in London. And I just loved it. Obviously I have a very... I love art form and I love creativity and I didn't really put it together back then of why I loved working with cheese so much but I mean when we work with the cheese right now Milk the Cow it's all about the care of the cheese, the way the cheese looks, the aesthetics of the cheese, how it tastes and things like that so there's synergy there but um, 
yeah, I was working in this place and they said, you know what, you're doing such a good job, we'll put you on this uh, cheese specialist course. And I didn't know at the time there was only a handful of people in the UK who were chosen to go on it. I just thought, oh, this is this will be fun. <laughs> it was a year-long course and they just teach you everything to know about cheese, how it's made, how to use, use it in cooking, how to match with it. And from there, I just bounced around these fromageries, some of the oldest fromageries in Europe, just learning more and more and more. So my passion for cheese grew and, you know, my love of fashion photography kind of subsided and 17 years later, I'm still doing it. So That's brilliant. <laughs> and were you involved right from the beginning in 2012? Yeah, so I was very fortunate. I came to Australia just for a little holiday. Everyone kept saying, come here, it's amazing, beautiful food, beautiful wine. And I actually got a call from Daniel when it was the early stages of Milk the Cow and his ideas and his concepts were all coming together. And we actually just sat and had a coffee at Fitzrovia. It's the first time I met him. And he took me into this venue in St Kilda before it was Milk the Cow. It was an old pizza place. So that's how I remembered it. And when he was talking through the idea of what he wanted, I mean, it was inspiring to hear, but I really didn't understand it because coming from the UK, working in Formageries and Formageries here in Melbourne at the time, it was unlike anything anyone had ever created before. Usually when you go to Formageries, you just buy a wedge of cheese and it's usually a substantial wedge of cheese. You learn a little bit about it, then you go. And he was like, we're going to cut little bits of cheese and we're going to match it to things like gin and whiskey. And I was like, what the <laughs> heck is this? But it was intriguing and yeah, he asked if I would come on board and create this beautiful counter and this selection of cheeses and yeah. Well, why don't you tell us about the first cheese that we're going to try and then I will uh, talk about a book. Well, we'll go with, I guess, the the mildest, not the weird and wonderful yet. We'll leave that <laughs> to the last. So when you asked for a couple of cheeses, I thought, well, I'll go a little bit of left, uh, left wing with it all, not just do the generic ones. So I've gone with cheeses, which are a little bit more speciality and a little bit more quirky and people may not have ever tried before because mm -hmm. that's what milk cow is all about so first of all I've got wife of Bath so this is a, a really small production cheese based in uh, Bath and Somerset in the UK and it was actually created out of a concept of um, using a gouda recipe so I guess you can say it's like a hybrid version of a you know a Dutch gouda in terms of when you look at it it looks like a little gouda and it's dense and hard and firm but it is based in Somerset in the UK, which is an established area renowned for, you know, your more territorial cheeses like cheddars. So you could say it's like a cross between both of them. You've got the aesthetics of the Gouda, but really when you pick up this cheese and you smell it, it's reminiscent of the um, English countryside and reminiscent of classic PDO authentic cheddars. They should be, you know, dusty and dirty. They should smell like, you know, a muddy farm going through with your wellies and it just should be reminiscent of the countryside and I think that exactly does that when you smell it first of all but then when you taste it it's got this wonderful creamy buttery interior which is quite floral and reminiscent of buttercups and meadows and daisies so really it's just a taste of the British countryside I find can we have a taste? Of course, oh my god, I'm not just going to say that and just let you salivate. <laughs> so like I said with this one, it's probably best to um, smell it first of all. I think a lot of cheesemakers will agree to really understand and appreciate the cheese. It's probably like a, a book. You really inspect it, you look at the front cover, you look at the back and things like that. Same with cheese. You've got to, got to dissect it. Smell the rind, smell the interior. 
people could see your face reaction. They're like, Woo. <laughs> Absolutely creamy, isn't it? It's mm. really delicious. Well, I loved all the cheeses that you chose because they were a bit different and some of them were quite difficult. Sorry. <laughs> no, it was great fun. It was great fun. And this one, I really took that sort of succulent, nutty, creamy taste of old England, mm. wife of Bath, Chaucer, all of that information and had a really big think. And I came up with an absolute favourite of mine, although I only recommend books I like as well, uh, of course, but The Air Affair by Jasper Ford. It's absolutely bonkers. It's witty and weird in that delightful English way. It's set in an alternate Great Britain, circa 1985, where time travel is routine, cloning is a reality, and dodos are the resurrected pet of choice, which I love, and literature is taken very, very seriously. The third most wanted man in the world, Hades Asheron, steals an original manuscript and kills a minor character, who then disappears from every volume of the novel ever printed. But that's just the practice test. Hades' real target is the character Jane Eyre, very beloved English literature character. And it's not long before he plucks her from the pages of Bronte's novel. Enter Thursday Next, great name, and renowned literary detective. She enters the novel through her uncle's prose portal to rescue Jane from this act of literary homicide. This book is ridiculously nutty, fun and absorbing, beautifully smoothly written and creamy, and I think a worthy match to The Wife of Bath. What do you think? Everything you've just said there is like the ultimate synergy of this cheese. <laughs> this cheese is noble, like the book. It's creamy, it's nutty, it's quirky, it's quite deceiving in a mm. sense. You know, don't judge a book by the cover, it's the same with this. It's, you know, instantly on the nose, it's poor, that's funky and weird. And then the interior, it's got depth to it, it's nutty, it's mellow, so we love it. Right. There are so many cheeses to choose from and so many different drinks to match them to. How? How do you go about matching them to the various flights you do? All those different things you mentioned before, gin and whiskey, obviously the different kinds of wines. You do tequila, you do sake, mm. you do beer, you do cider. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so it's a lot. So there's so many different rules and books and, you know, um, apps these days which can tell you what goes with what. And they're just based off a few guidelines. So. I mean, when I try to educate customers and even the staff on why things go together, I use three main cheap rules and tips. Um, so if you ever, you know, got a dinner party at home, either match to the cheese or match to the beverage. It's up to you. What you love most, use that as the hero product that you're going to um, match things to that and you want that to showcase. So if I'm matching to um, specific cheeses, I'll use a couple of rules. So you can use wines or beers or spirits which complement the flavours that you're going to get in a cheese. Um, so for example, we have a cheese, Bella Patana Merlot, which is a very romantic cheese, so I'm just thinking with books that would relate as well. But um, <laughs> it's a cheese which is washed in red wine. So if you want to complement and put something to match that, match it to Merlot red wine. It's fantastic on the palate, sensory, it's all complementary. Or you can contrast, so if you've got, you know, a really salty blue, like Roquefort Papillon, really ancient, one of the strongest blues ever produced, blows your socks off, really salty, powerful, match something contrasting to that. So what contrasts salt or sweet? So if you've got a late harvest Viognier or a Semillon or a Porte or something sticky, that, that will opposites attract. Or you can use the example of cutting. So what I mean by that is if you've got 
um, a cheese which is high in fat and you've got something like a really racy type Prosecco or Champagne or Moscato, something with bead and bubble in, you know, the fat will just cut through those. So those are three main rules, but um, there's another cheat sheet I always tell people. If, if you don't want to do all of that, it's too much work. Just use the um, analogy, whatever grows together goes together. So if you've got, you know, a cheese from Somerset in the UK and you've got these amazing, you know, British ciders which come from Somerset, it doesn't happen all the time, but predominantly when things are made in the same area, the same region, they're affected by the same terroir, the terrain, the soil, the climate, the sun, the rain, you name it. So they should naturally hand in hand go together. So there are a few kind of cheap little rules, but really it's just a matter of trial and error. Just taste, taste, taste. and. Gee, that's a hardship, isn't it? <laughs> Having know. to taste and taste and taste all this lovely cheese. Um, well, shall we get on to cheese number two? Yes. We are we going to go weird and wonderful or are we going to go... Oh, both. both. Let's go weird and wonderful. Okay. Let's do it. So, I know you're looking at it going, what is this? <laughs> so for those who can't see it, it's it looks like um, a block of plasticine, a brown block of plasticine. Or a really big... Like very square fudge, fudge or something. Yeah, fudge or caramel. Um, it's actually, some people used to say, oh, it's not a cheese, but actually it's made using the byproduct and the leftovers of cheese production. So when you make a cheese, you get a curd, which makes up the solid, and you've got whey, which is the liquid. So if you want a really hard cheese, like a Parmesan Reggiano, you want to get rid of a lot of moisture, and that's your whey. So some people just disregard that whey and feed it to pigs. Um, some people convert it into uh, whey bodybuilding protein powder because obviously it's full of protein. And some special people um, in Norway actually collect the whey and then heat it so all the natural sugars within the whey caramelize. They also add the addition of cream and milk in the whey and then they pour it into these little cube uh, molds and let it set and it forms into this brown, fudgy, caramel-like consistency. <laughs> it's so interesting. It really is. It's um, something that, uh, again, because it's full of protein, one, it's highly flammable, so keep it away from Really? <laughs> There's a very famous um, story which was in the news years ago that there was a truck transporting a lot of this in Norway and it got stuck in a tunnel in the mountains and it set on fire and they couldn't figure out why the truck was burning for hours and hours and hours and they realized it was because the concentrate of fat and sugar in this little cube in my hand is is like paraffin wow yeah so one you've got that aspect of it um but because obviously it's uh made you know for something which is used in in bodybuilding and for protein this brand that we carry is called ski queen so a lot of people say that skiers take it up the mountains with them because they can munch on it all day when they're skiing on the slopes and it just gives them that protein and that energy to keep keep going so it's something that they uh in norway and around the world people are now recognizing i have it at milk the cow because obviously we're all about matching cheeses to alcohol and i thought back in the day when i used to sell this in the uk why don't we match um a cheese to our coffee because when I moved here eight years ago everyone kept saying to me Melbourne's such a coffee culture like and I was like well why don't we match cheese to that so I knew I used to sell it in the UK because Norwegians used to come into my store and buy it and I remember one time I asked them why what do you do with it I mean yes it's delicious on its own because it tastes like caramel but they say that they put it into their coffee in the morning instead of sugar so it's like a sweetener 
So you can do that. Some people actually melt it on waffles in the morning. Some people put it on bread. Some people put it in summer in, in bread with cucumbers and, and butter. It's such a diverse <laughs> little thing and it's just fun and quirky. It reminds me of a very famous, I think it's an American chocolate bar, it could be British, called Caramac. It's just like condensed milk and caramel. Mm, it definitely has that, but there is that, because in the notes that you sent me, it said slightly sour, mm. and there is that element to it. Yeah, a little sourness to it. And it's really thick and like sticky almost. Yeah. Mm. It just coats the top of your palate and the bottom of your tongue. It's amazing. It took me a while. <laughs> like, it was this particular cheese, not having tasted it, mm. and, you know, getting the tasting notes from you, the sort of, unusual, heated and reduced until it caramelizes, extremely durable, sour but sweet, smooth and fudge-like, all these different things that, you know, they really made it quite difficult. <laughs> I did think, you know, I had an English book for the English cheese. I thought about looking into like the Scandinoir, getting, you know, a, a, a Norwegian book for the Norwegian cheese. But in the end, I went with a book which I found to be quite unusual when I read it. It's called Only the Animals by Seridwin Dovey. It's made up of 10 fable-like tales told by the souls of animals killed in human conflicts in the past century or so. A camel in colonial Australia, a cat in the trenches in World War I, a bear starved to death during the siege of Sarajevo, a mussel that died in Pearl Harbor, which was actually one of my favorite stories. Each of these souls narrates their story and also pays homage to an author who has written imaginatively about animals during much the same time span. So you've got Tolstoy, Virginia Woolf, Kafka, Colette, and so on. These stories are playful and witty, beautifully written and totally poignant, yet so sad as you know the animal dies at some point and they reflect back to us the nature of human violence and the relationship between human and animal experiences of the world. Some of the stories are incredibly lovely and they have a depth and a sweetness to them and the way they're written, you can dip in and out. You don't need to read the whole book in one go, which I thought might make it a good travel book. Um, and it also takes you around the world in those 10 different tales. I love the book because it is so different. And yet, if you try this, you will absolutely love it. Mm. It is just beautiful. Really fable-like, slightly sour, but um, does leave that sweet taste in your mouth. Everything that this cheese has. Mm. And those, because the, that fableness to me, that, that sort of talks, that speaks to the thickness, the creaminess of it yeah, as well. Yeah, God, and this cheese is so dense. It and is creamy. So dense. And it dissipates in your mouth, it just disappears, but leaves you wanting more. And, mm. Yeah. So, the easiest question of them all. What is your favorite thing, if you can answer it? <laughs> it's actually the hardest, <laughs> the easiest and the hardest question about working at Milk Macau, and you can't say getting to taste the cheese. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> one of those things where you've been around cheese and booze so long. It's just sad, because everyone always thinks, oh, you must eat and drink every day. And it's like, yeah, no, it's, there's more to it than that. I mean, I love working for Milk Macau because I have the, um, uh, the opportunity to do a lot of events and to educate people on cheese. So, for example, tonight at Carlton, we're doing um, a cheese and sake masterclass. So for me, it's when I go there and I do those classes, I get to educate people just like this on all these weird and wonderful cheeses that people, you can tell when you're talking about them, they've never experienced it or appreciated cheese in that way before. And all the stories that I like to tell about cheese and the history of it, and just getting people to try new things they've never tried and see and then just you can see like a light switch on you know when they've tried these things and they come to the event so i love that because it's, it's always new it's always different you know you're always getting to match um different cheeses to different products 
get to meet different people. It's always new cheeses coming into the industry. Great thing about cheese is, you know, every country in the world is pretty much producing cheese. So this is just a, a little small percent of what we have access to. So for me, it's exciting when I get something new and I'm like, oh, what am I going to match to it? Um, so it's just a fun and energetic place um, to be and to, to work at. All right, cheese number three. Okay, so cheese number three I love talking about specifically because I do a lot of um, champagne um, and cheese matching. And this cheese has that synergy and that relationship of Napoleon. So this cheese is called Jacqueline Tradition Samoa. So Jacqueline is the producer of the cheese. Sorry, it's Stephen Duberry, they also make Samoa, which is a log. This is, it looks like a pyramid, but without the spiky top on it. So it's been chopped off. And the cheese goes by all these different names um, from different producers, but Duberry is almost like the Provence of where it's made um, in France. It also goes by the name Balance in France and Europe. It was created um, centuries ago, uh, back in the time of Napoleon, in this little small town. So it's a goat's cheese they've been making in that town using the same techniques and traditions, the same shape for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, when Napoleon came around, he apparently had just um, suffered a big military defeat in Egypt. And obviously in Egypt, pyramids, you know, that shape is just embedded in his mind. And he's really, obviously Napoleon's known for being an angry, aggressive little man. Um, <laughs> so story goes that he was traveling back to France from Egypt from this defeat. And he passed through the little town of Belance or Duberry. Um, where they've been making this cheese, which looks like a pyramid. Um, apparently, he jumped off his horse, pulled out his saber, which he was famously known to carry all the time, and saber champagne bottles, pulled out the sword, chopped off the top of this cheese, and demanded that no one ever makes it in that shape ever again, because he was so bitter about it. Oh, wow. So they just keep that tradition alive. So it's like a little pyramid, chopped, chopped off. So it's just fun and quirky, but the cheese itself is this wonderful goat's milk, um, so goats obviously thrive in the area where this is produced um, and then it's coated in a natural charcoal ash and the reason that that's done is you see it a lot in older um, European style goats cheeses a lot of Australian cheesemakers do it as well but more so for aesthetics but people would put ash on the outside of their cheese um, to not only neutralize some of the acidity within the goat's milk because it it is quite cream, creamy and nutty and it's got a little lemony sour tang to it so by adding charcoal to um, obviously which is an alkaline to a high acidic goat's milk it neutralizes that acidity and makes it more balanced but another technique that they they put ash on the outside is because years and years ago when we didn't have refrigeration and they would leave cheeses out all day long a lot of bugs and bacteria and flies and unwanted mold will start growing on the cheese so to discourage that and prohibit it, um, they would throw all the natural charcoal ashes which were left over from heating the house during the day, because obviously they didn't have central heating, throw it on the outside of the cheese and it was a way of preserving the cheese. So it's just done traditionally for that, for that reason. Amazing. There were so many options when thinking of a classic French cheese to book pairing and I loved that dramatic story of Napoleon and the fact that this is a really dense cheese but also that clean and bright um, lemoniness to it. In other words, complex. Yes. Yes. Um, so I thought of a book which was long listed for the Man Booker International Prize in 2016. It's called Mend the Living by Melis de Kerangel. It's also known as The Heart in some English translations. 
Just before dawn on a Sunday morning, three teenage boys go surfing. While driving home exhausted, the boys are involved in a fatal car accident on a deserted road. Two of the boys are wearing seatbelts. Simon goes through the windshield. The doctors declare him brain dead shortly after arriving at the hospital, but his heart is still beating. This story takes place over the 24 hours surrounding the resulting heart transplant. It's the story of the heart's journey and the story of all the lives it will impact in the hours between the accident that cuts short Simon's life and the moment when his heart will begin to beat again in the body of someone else. The language is gorgeously smooth, rolling and warm, while also being clean and precise as this book examines the deepest feelings of everyone involved as they navigate decisions of life and death. It's a really fine balance of emotion and pragmatism, definitely dense, and altogether a book which can wash clean what is otherwise a turbulent story. So interesting. And it's beautifully written. It is absolutely um, breathtaking. Um, So yeah. Sounds like a journey. My last question. What's your favourite cheese of right now? And do you have a favourite flight pairing? Favourite cheese of now? I don't have children, but a lot of people say, how do you answer that? Because it would be the equivalent of who's your favourite child. Um, I think right now, it's a love of mine. It's always been in like my top five cheeses. I just love the Irish blue cheeses that we have access to here in Australia. Um, particularly, there's a cheese called Cashel Blue which is made in Tipperary in Ireland, um, made by a lovely husband and wife who've been making cheeses for years now, um, Mr. and Mrs. Grubb. They wanted um, to create a cheese which was similar to Stilton, but easier to handle. So it's a small, it looks like a little small blue cheese. The shape of it actually um, comes from when Mrs. Grubb was um, getting into cheese making. She needed a cheese mold and they had a lot of drain pipes hanging around in their farm. So they actually just cut some drain pipe and that created the shape that is now loved and known all over the world just from a plastic drain pipe sitting outside. Um, but it's a beautiful cheese and it's, uh, you know, a lot of people love this cheese. Um, we used to have a roll warrant for um, Her Majesty the Queen and, you know, they've very voc- uh, vocally said how much they love this cheese. It used to be one of the Queen Mother's favourite cheeses. It's made with Jersey milk, so high in butter fat, high in cream. It's rich, it's rounded, it's got piquancy to it, it's got a saltiness to it. It kind of tastes like um, underlying notes of like green olives, white wine, thyme, rosemary. It's just such a complex, beautiful cheese. I love how you talk about it so passionately <laughs> and how every cheese has a story. Every cheese has a story and that's what makes it so exciting and again, I love what you do bringing, you know, the connection and the relationship of books and cheese because cheeses are a story in, in their own right. They are just like a book. They have a front cover, they have a back cover, they have, you know, the index, the, the, the depth, the, uh, the narrative. Every cheese has so much history and so much going on to it. I love that. <laughs> what about the flights? Oh, favourite flights. Um, I think for me... My favorite flights are the, are the beer flight and the whiskey flight. Oh, wow. I just think that, um, you know, a lot of beers have very similar flavor characteristics to what you find in cheese, more so for me than I find in wine. So when you've got a, a beer which tastes like, you know, chocolate and espresso, and you match it to a cheese which is like cream, for me, I can make things like tiramisu when you put them together, and I love doing that, creating matches of beer and cheese which create something in its own right to cheese and with whiskey as well I mean I just 
love whiskies. You know, they've got a lot of grainy flavors. You can get really smoky whiskies, really peaty whiskey, and you can match that to something like a smoked cheddar. And you've just got something beautiful right there. <laughs> love it. I love it. Love it. I am looking forward to doing books and whiskey, I will say. Um, all right. Well, I can't finish up without mentioning what might be one of the cheesiest books I know. I really wanted to tell people about this cheesy, cheesy book. Uh, it's called Match Me If You Can, which is already super <laughs> cheesy, by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. It's part of the Chicago Stars series, of which there are many great and cheesy reads. However, I love this one for so many reasons. Our main character is Annabelle. She's endured dead-end jobs, bad hair, and a broken engagement. But all that is going to change now that she's inherited her late grandmother's matchmaking business. <laughs> all she has to do is land Windy City's hottest bachelor as her client, and she'll be the most sought-after matchmaker in town. She's a strong, independent, and quirky lady who doesn't know how gorgeous she is, of course. He's sexy and he knows it, but he is totally clueless in the emotional arena, of course. <laughs> Cue in a couple of misunderstandings, some great chemistry helpful-ish friends, and a lot of humour. I love the main romantic storyline here, but there's also a subplot with some great secondary characters with one of the most laugh-out-loud scenes I've ever read. I snorted out my drink through my nose when I read it, and I still smile to this day when I think about it, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. If you read this book, you'll get to this scene and you'll go, that's what she meant, because <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, it's really fun. It's light, yet well-written. It's honestly altogether cheesy and I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for sharing your cheese and your stories and your time with me today. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's oh. got me set for the rest of the day now. <laughs> Alrighty, well, thank you. That's all from me, folks. Remember to check out Milk the Cow on Instagram at MilkTheCowMelb and do let me know if you have any suggestions for any kind of literature pairing with a delicious elixir. You can find Literary Elixirs on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Literary Elixirs. And if you're interested in more information such as notes and photos from each episode, check out LiteraryElixirs.com. Enjoy all elixirs responsibly and remember, books go with pretty much anything. should just stop because the amount of jokes that I pull out of the bag is just I love it it's just witty we're going to need one we're going to need a cheese pun oh my god if you want I've got a the amount of people who bought me books on cheese puns but uh what did the cheese say to the mirror what hello me oh. hello me <laughs> They just very go good. on and very, on and very on. Good. And then just to really throw it out, um, what I love to say is, did you hear about the, the cheese factory that exploded? No. There was debris everywhere. Oh, <laughs> tell me now. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Stop it. Stop it. No. <laughs>